I just want to do God's will. The kind of revolution that the world needs is a Christian revolution. If you want a miracle, you've got to expect it to happen. You are the recipients of God's grace and God's blessings, and you rejoice in that reality. Welcome to Life Today Live. Hope you had a great weekend. We're going to kick off this Monday by just diving right into some things because, you know, the older I get uh, and, and the more I, I actually, you know, read my Bible, which I highly recommend, um, the more I realized we got some bad theology. And, and that's always been the case. You know, Paul was arguing against some really bad theology in the first century. Uh, and you can look back through history and just see, you know, and, and a lot of times it's not you know, the, the core stuff, what we call, you know, the primary it can be a lot of what we call secondary, which I think is important too. But, you know, it's, and, and look, I think we all got some bad theology somewhere and it, it, there's a level that's okay. As long as we're always pushing towards learning and growing, you know, and conforming to the image of Christ, I, I, I get it. So I'm, I'm not one of those guys that likes to call out, Oh, they're wrong. You know, I did, that doesn't do any good either. I'm not here for condemnation. What I am here for is is maybe asking some tough questions and getting into it and saying, okay, how, how is our theology? Just have a little theology check. Well, I've got a guest today who's doing some of that, I, th- I think we'll find out. Uh, he's got a new book um, written by him and one of his um, cohorts at uh, Theos U. Um, it's called the Theos or Theos, I don't know what he says, Starter Pack Toward a Recovery of essential Christianity, and it's uh, by Nathan Finocchio and Chris Palmer. Chris is my guest today, and so we're gonna we're gonna go through a little bit of a a checklist um, and ch- chime in there, Judy. How are you doing? Anybody wants to jump in? Oh yeah, right. Okay, and Judy's already hitting some bad theology about how you know we become <laughs> angels after death. I think it's a little more uh folklore than theology but there is some we'll get into some and what's some good theology what do we need to hold to tightly right so jump in loretta good to see you um and, and by the way if you're watching this in the replay as most of you do i get that we always appreciate your kind comments um and uh, anything you want to do to to be a part of the conversation that's why we do it live so anyway chris how you doing man good to have you on life today live randy thanks for having me it's a good way to uh kick off the week and celebrate Monday with you. <laughs> Good, right. You know, see, I, I ditched the attitude of, of, you know, I hate Mondays a long time ago. Every day yeah. is a gift from God, right? So let, let's enjoy Truly. it. So give me a little bit of the overview as to what you guys are doing, maybe why you guys are, are kind of hitting this very fundamental level of, of theology. Yep. Yeah, so the founders of Theosu and myself all have come from, uh, we grew up in church, we love the church, and uh, we think that local church ministry is extremely important and the foundation of um, society, uh, after the family, of course. And, um, you know, we've we've seen so many people just become so, so disgruntled with church that they've deconstructed, they've moved away from uh, being part of the church, mm-hmm. and it's, it's caused and concern for theology that's taken place. And so we're asking ourselves the question at the OSU, uh, what can we do to, as you said, kind of have a theology check to find out what works and what doesn't, what is what the apostolic fathers gave their lives for, and then how do we build on top of that and maintain that? Because we've seen that you know church models uh, in the past have kind of propagated theology that 
not necessarily, I don't want to be a heresy hunter and say we need to go after those individuals, as you say, but at the same time, um, just like you said, have the theology check and say, hey, let's think about some of these things and look at different ways of using constructive methods to um, make theology a blessing and not something that we all bemoan. <laughs> and so that's sort of what we're doing. So we don't want to be seen as we're out here pointing fingers because, as you said, we're all growing together and we're doing our best. And um, But it, it does serve us well and does us good to stop for a minute and think about some of the things that we hold to and, and see if we can adjust those in, in a more uh, uh, for more efficiency, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you, you use the term, I like this heresy hunters, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some, some people out there and that's what they do. And they get lots of views. You get a lot of publicity. Uh, and, and, but here's, here's what, and some of it, I, I, I just detest. And here's why, because if you look at Paul, what Paul says about, uh, you know, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, right? Principalities and powers. What we're, I, I believe the scriptural approach is not the destruction of people with bad ideas, but the destruction of bad ideas for the redemption of people. And that goes across the board, whether it's in the church or outside of the church. And I think where we really go wrong and what I react negatively to is when someone comes out and they're like, oh, let's talk about so-and-so. And then they just level them and they, they're ready to just cut them off and cast them out. And that's where I go, dude, you, you, that is not the spirit of Christ. But to come out and say, okay, here's an idea. And I heard one just in the last week where someone I really, really respect. And, and I, I mean, he's one of my favorite guests on the program. He's gracious. I think I've got him booked here soon. It was doing an interview on a kind of, kind of a secular radio show um, and, and talking about some theological things that I just think are really wrong and bad theology. Well, I'm not going to come out here and blast him, but I will talk about the bad ideas of theology all day long. Not because I want to destroy people, but because I want us to all have good theology like you're pushing towards, yeah. right? So yeah. let, um, I'm going to get sidetracked real easily here. Let's go with, <laughs> let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Start with the good. When you, when you look at essential Christianity, how yeah. would maybe you define? Yeah, so I think essential Christianity re- refers to, in our terminology, the what it requires, the minimum required to actually be a historic Orthodox Christian, which would go back to the Council of Nicaea in the 4th century. Um, and the Nicene Creed would be uh, what would be the bare minimum historically, to which affirms the Trinity, affirms the, uh, the Christology, who Christ is, the person of Christ, his divinity and his humanity, as well as the Spirit and the Father. And so that would be where we begin the beginning point of being an Orthodox Christian, and then we move from there. The book that we put out is not necessarily asking the questions of, of Nicene Christianity, but more is asking essential Christianity uh, after having, after, the way we use it is after you've walked and accepted this, um, how we build upon therein. So we've, we've looked at some things and asked some questions about maybe those peripheral thoughts in theology where if you hold something different, uh, we're not going to point a finger at you. We, we don't put ourselves in that position. Heresy hunters hmm. are usually those self-appointed individuals, <laughs> usually uh, internet pirates that have appointed <laughs> themselves to, to to sort out all of all of Christianity. And really, you know, their um, attitudes are no better than freshmen in in college, which have that sort of inquiring mindset, the immaturity and sophomore tendencies that freshmen have to to really come after people and not ideas. And so we didn't want to sound like that. Like the Apostle Paul said, we didn't want to be a, a 
um, a resounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Mm-hmm. But we were like, hey, let's talk about some things and put those things at the table and say, what, what, do, you, what do you think? Uh, so that's that's what we did. So building on top of that and asking more of the per- peripheral questions where if you said, hey, not interested in this, it's OK. You know, let's <laughs> just keep going together in love. It's, is there um, a significance or a difference uh, between going to a fourth century, you know, like a Nicene Creed, an Apostles Creed, something like that, as opposed to just going back to Scripture, which would have been earlier writings, Gospels, basically, writings yeah, of Paul? Yeah, yeah. so I think what's happening when you get to the creeds and you get to the church councils that happen after the first century is that controversy is forcing them to really think about what Scripture is teaching hmm. because controversy is taking place. So they're working out systematic doctrine in a way that it's not presented in Scripture, working out what's actually there and what the apostles have handed down because of controversy that's taken place inside of the church, Christological controversies, whether or not he was fully human or whether he wasn't fully human. Mm-hmm. These are things that the church fathers had to really work work out and, and give robust theological answers for. And so in, in those councils, we don't see an addition to Scripture, but we see more of a working out of what uh, those who are closest to the apostles believe the apostles we're writing in scripture. And so that's what becomes helpful for us is that the church councils become clarifying moments in church history that help us to see what they were seeing in scripture, being closer to, to those, those years. Now help, help me out. Forgive my ignorance here, but help me out with the timeline on the the Roman Mm -hmm. Catholic church. Would that be within the Roman Catholic church? Would these be Catholic church? Yeah. So so the Catholics would say that they, I mean, it depends what Catholic you ask, but we're moving after the time of Constantine with this, which is fifth century. So it's typically seen that that's when Catholicism, as we know it started, although Catholics would take their, their, um, their Pope back to Peter, which they look at as the first Pope, if you will, um, in the historical timeline. But I think church historians would look back at the time of Constantine in fifth century uh, where Christianity became the official religion of the empire, the Roman Empire, as a time of, of Catholicism. But it's not necessarily the Protestants would still maintain Nicene Christianity. If we pulled up the Nicene Creed, we worked through. There's nothing in there that we wouldn't be affirmed. Um, all Christian. That's really what is sort of the anomaly. The, the, the um, uh, interesting thing about Nicene Nicene Creed is that it's really one of the only things that I think all branches of Christianity would affirm, both Catholic and Eastern Orthodox, so they have a little small dispute there. Well, I wouldn't say small, but a dispute there, but for the most part. I mean, it depends, but I don't want to say that it's small and colloquial. But you have Catholics and the Eastern Orthodox, and then and then you have Protestants and then Evangelicalism, which come out of Protestant, and the various forms of Evangelicalism, and the Coptic churches uh, would affirm the Nicene Creed, and uh, that's what makes it very special. So how, do, how would that impact us? today you think i mean is is that sort of a hey let's sit down and talk about what we can all agree on uh yeah. is, is it kind of some of that going on yeah i wouldn't if, if you hold if you held to the nicene creed i wouldn't i would consider you a christian you know i wouldn't mm-hmm. try to ostracize you um and say that you're not a christian i don't think you can um push back on somebody if, if they're affirming those things it's what makes our god what, what makes our God different from Islam, the God of Islam, uh, it would be the, that we affirm that he presents himself as a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in the creed, the Father, Son, and the Spirit is worked out uh, in that dimension is how, we, how we're supposed to language that. So the Nicene Creed is helping Christians uh, to have language as to how they talk about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, each in their own essence being God and, as, and, and, and um, being the Godhead. So 
that that gives us the beginning point uh, to work from. Not that we didn't have Christianity before that, but um, it was language more clearly for us uh, because of controversy that had, that, that, that had taken place. And so that's the beginning point that we look at in historical Christian orthodoxy. All right. So I want to I show people your website. Uh, and the ad- address of this is, is theosu.ca, T-H-E-O-S-U.ca. Uh, a little Canadian connection there for those of you uh, Americans who don't understand what's going on there. Um, <laughs> but this is the website. And it says right there, non-woke Bible teaching, and 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 it's scrolling through, uh, you know, racism. It, it scrolls through uh, transgenderism, end times theology, Christian nationalism. Uh, you know, all these controversial subjects. Um, Just a little, right? Just a little, <laughs> right? So, but what do you mean? What? Why? Why do you headline it with non woke? Are you seeing something in yep. scripture that is tied to this? Yeah. Mar- so. Yeah, so we're moving away from kind of the book for a second, sort of talking about the academic institution that we have, the yeah, OSU's, that yeah. we've, we've discovered that, uh, like, like you're saying, a, a neo-Marxist sort of agenda that has found its way into Christianity were a lot of, not Christianity, but evangelical spaces that we're in today where students are going to Bible school today, and they're not really learning about hermeneutics, how to exegete scripture, but they're learning things about Marxism, neo-Marxism, critical race theory, um, gender theory. And these things are happening inside of our, our evangelical institutions because professors are being trained in that direction to read scripture, particularly uh, from that lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it is an emphasis for us. We're not a political affiliate. We're not trying to uh, politicize scripture and, or, or politicize the Bible. But we do raise these things, say, hey, we're going to move back to reading scripture with an evangelical lens. And we're not ashamed of our uh, reading like evangelicals, Pentecostals, if you will. Uh, and we're going to do it in such a way that we honor and believe that there is conservative sexual ethics that are taught in Scripture. We're not going to take um, this approach, this this modern approach to social justice to work out what salvation actually is, right. and, uh, which would, which a neo-Marxism would have to teach people that follow Michael Foucault and the like. It, it's just not, and that that is promulgated in Bible schools today. So what happens is individuals pay hundred thousand dollars to go to a, a liberal arts bible school and they come out uh with blue hair and uh rebellious against their parents and rebellious against everybody else not a blessing to the community they become destructive to churches um they, they deconstruct they question everything that they're taught they despise the people that taught them um and it's it's really sad and i don't want to paint with too broad of a brush to say that's happening in every university but it's happening enough to be concerned so we we want to say that. so that's perhaps why we say non-woke? That's mm. maybe the headline that we use. <laughs> well, and I, uh, yeah, as a as a paying parent of a college student, sometimes you need to know these things ahead of time, rather than finding out on the backside. By the way, Jan Crouch had blue hair too, and that wasn't a problem. So that's a, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I think that's uh, there would be an exception. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I want to I want to ask you about one of the topics in the book, mm-hmm. uh, one that you address, and that is recovering apocalyptic uh what are you delving into there because god knows with what's going on in israel right now everybody thinks that the rapture is imminent and you know they're just waiting for two-thirds of the jews to be slaughtered to fulfill some ancient prophecy 
it makes my ears bleed. What are you? What's your take on that? <laughs> well, a little backstory is in, in 2018, I decided to start working on my doctorate in this area um, in apocalyptic, and so hopefully I've learned a couple of things. Although I'm open, I'm open for conversation, discussion to it. You know, don't consider myself the you know the guru of it all. I'm not here to sort everybody out. But what I argue in that chapter is that the beginning point for understanding apocalyptic. And the way I describe apocalyptic is that it's a, it's a genre that emerged in the second temple period in biblical um, prior to the New Testament, that would be the intertestamental period, mm-hmm. where it deals with the justice of God and the hope of God's people who are suffering. And so this genre has some key qualities to it that are important, the way that cartoons may have a genre, or sports has a genre, very different sections of a newspaper have genres. This has a unique, it's a very unique genre where it uses symbolism. It uses numerology. It calls back to Hebrew scriptures um, and looks forward. And so I, I arguing in that chapter that um, the key place to begin and understand apocalyptic texts such as Daniel and the book of Revelation, portions of Ezekiel, um, is understanding apocalyptic genre and how it works. And so when we begin there, instead of beginning in newspapers or beginning in, uh, you know, our whatever uh, news outlet that we like, uh, then we have a more holistic view of that. And so for the most part, it seems when people enter, let's just say the book of Revelation, they're starting with an isolated passage that's pulled out of the context of not only the book itself, but also with no consideration of how the genre works. And then when they see something that's taking place in the newspapers, that seems to fit what it is that they're looking at, then they begin to call it a fulfillment of prophecy. Mm-hmm. Um, they begin to sound the alarms. And that's really led us to a lot of disappointment. Um, and it's caused one of two things to happen. Either people get tired of it and they don't want anything to do with the book anymore, mm-hmm. or the circles were in the book's at and they become resentful, or they double down and they become radicalized. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I'm not sure which one is worse. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> But I think it's about 10 pages condensed that kind of shows you some uh, little history about where that may come from and and how we can do well to treat the book of Revelation in a way that I think is apropos to how it was intended for it to be to be treated. Yeah, well, as my grand Irish uncle used to say, for every mile of road, there's two miles of ditch. And, uh, you know. The, the, both those ditches yeah. are not where you want to end up. Uh, we would yeah. walk this road. but So you, you said a word that I'm big on and not always was, and I'm, and I'm guilty of it in the past, which is yeah. a lack of context. How, how important to our theology is context and not just picking, you know, as my former pastor used to say, finding a tooth and building a dinosaur, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, I, I don't even want to read just one chapter anymore. If I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm, I want to read the, the whole book and understand the setting yeah. and the audience. And, and how yeah. bad are we about context? I see that as a big thing, by the way. Yeah, I think um, context is, is important, not just for Scripture, but also life. I mean, we understand <laughs> yeah. our lives in context every day. Right. And mm. So I think that, you know, we have to treat scripture the way that we're designed as human beings to understand things in the way that they're placed. And obviously, the more context that we have, the broader our view could be. But 
there are there are reasons why people don't necessarily read scripture in context the way that they come to it um some of our bible reading programs i'm not against but it trains us to not really read things in context maybe we read a verse a day or a chapter a day or we're so used to just kind of finding scriptures that we like pet scriptures yeah. not saying there's anything wrong there's a scripture on your refrigerator but sure. i would say this there's something wrong with not moving beyond that sort of maturity and approaching the biblical text um you know whereas and what happens is, is that when we assume more than we know, uh, we start giving convincing answers for really bad ideas. And so this Philippians 4.13 becomes um, my, right. it never moves beyond being my regiment for why I can lose 60 pounds in a month. You know what I mean? <laughs> I can do all things. Yeah. Yeah, I can do all things. Right. Yeah. And then without a context surrounding what, what's taking place in the Philippian church and why the Apostle Paul may, may have said that, I mean, it helps to know he's in, he's in house arrest. It helps to know that he's, being financially supported by the Philippians. And so that starts to play into chapter four. Um, so, you know, coming back to the book of Revelation, context is a, is a very important thing. Um, it helps to know that seven churches are being written to, helps to know that those churches that that John was expecting the seven churches to understand what he was talking about. The spirit, uh, it says seven times in the beginning, let the, uh, he that has ears, let him hear. Hearing means in the Johannine literature, understanding or comprehending, not just that, but also obeying. So it has to be something that they would have been familiar with enough to obey and to order their lives by. And so forgive me for stepping out on a limb over here, but you know, suggesting that things are the vaccination or something that just goes over the top. And what we found out pretty clearly that we can be mistaken when we don't start with the right beginning point. And so it doesn't just happen with scripture. Um, and again, you know, when people are wrong, they have a tendency to really become embittered uh, at their teachers or whoever misguided them, or they become radicalized and they double down. And, you know, I argue in that chapter, Randy, that the book of Revelation is so important to get right uh, and, and have a real uh, efficiency with it because I mean, it was misreadings of the book of Revelation that caused some of the greatest tragedies. I mean, you had the Manson family, he misread Revelation chapter 7. Mm -hmm. Revelation chapter 13 was understood by David Koresh and, and all of his followers. Mm -hmm. And on and on it goes. And we could get into some of the schisms that took place uh, in Europe because of misreadings of this book. And so, um, if and I'll answer, I'll, I'll kind of conclude your thought with this, that having right interpretations of scriptures oftentimes becomes the difference between using scripture as a mechanism to lead people to the Prince of Peace, who is Jesus Christ, or gives people a license to do violence and mm -hmm. to hurt the people that they disagree with mm -hmm. the most because they weaponize it. And so um, we need to be, be, take very seriously, um, you know, our, not just scripture, because scripture to people is often what I believe about scripture, but I would say more our approaches to scripture. Yeah, uh, we gotta let scripture form us not have us yes. forming scriptures. Yes. Uh, and, Absolutely. And it, it, Very you, well said. Is that sort of some of the, um, I mean, it comes down to eschatology, I guess, but is that, do you think we're uh, doing the body of Christ a disservice in some of our eschatological implications? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to say I, I think so. I mean, I think that I don't want to disclude myself from this. Like I'm looking around everybody as the one trying to sort everyone out. But I think that when we can absolutely do it wrong um, by not approaching eschatology uh, with 
by centering Jesus. I mean, the book of Revelation, I believe, has everything to do with faithfulness to Christ, who suffered as the Lamb. Mm -hmm. And there's constantly in Revelation this um, call for endurance, the endurance that the faithful endure, the endurance of the saints. Uh, and so it's it's pushing and suggesting that as, as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, uh, we're, we're going to have to endure and follow him even when the going gets tough. And for the seven churches at Revelation, it was it was very tough for them mm -hmm. because they're living in a time where um, being a Christian was was difficult and challenging. And so I think Revelation is telling us as believers that in, 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 when times that are challenging, when it's hard to maintain faithfulness to Christ, and that's not always physical persecution because the majority of us in America don't really face that, do we? Right. But it is times of compromise, uh, times when the moral line, the ethical line of, of, of what it means to be a Christian and to follow Christ starts getting pushed back even further when things like sexual um, and sexuality and gender, the line keeps getting skewed. And not just that, but about Christians becoming, you know, unnecessarily just unreasonable about things. And, um, you know, even involving themselves in forms of violence that are violence, period. You know, it's it's not and not following the Prince of Peace. It is um, things that can cause us to be concerned and to, to say, well, what does it really mean to follow Christ? What does it mean to love our enemies? It's taking up this perspective of, of hatred towards enemies. I mean, that is anti-Christ as it becomes. And so we have to be faithful to to the Lamb. And that, I think, is what Revelation is teaching is not necessarily when's the next uh, when's the next uh, cycle in the moon and the sun that's going to make me think that this is the, the return of Christ. I don't think that's what it's doing. Yeah, and and it does step on toes. I think the, mo the one of the breaking points for me, uh, because I was raised in the Hal Lindsey, you know, uh, yep. Yep. you know, by 1988, the rapture was going to happen, and you know, <laughs> Russia was Gog or Magog or whatever. You know, I mean, yeah. he had it all lined yep. up. Uh, a lot of money had been made there, um, and I yep. and I read Revelation yep. one time, uh, and, and I thought, you know, I'm just gonna I'm gonna let Scripture interpret Scripture, and and just because I didn't understand it, I'm like, if Revelation is a revelation. How come it's the most difficult book to understand? And and it takes a, and it takes a forty foot wall chart to figure out. Right? <laughs> well, yeah, and that's only because you bring in Daniel as well. So, um, yeah. but <laughs> and and I read it and I kind of went, wait a minute, this doesn't say what they said it was saying, you know. Um, and I, went, I thought, what is going on? Then I read second chapter of Acts one time just through some reading and. And something hit me because it was like, okay, you got Pentecost, right? You got all these people speaking in dialects, foreign tongues, but not unknown tongues, which is another little issue at times, but whatever. Um, but they were proclaiming the gospel, but people thought they were, you know, drunk. And Peter stands up and he gives his big sermon and he says, let me explain to you what's going on. Uh, this is starting in chap chapter four or chapter two, verse 14. He says, these people aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Okay, so now we're talking about fulfillment of prophecy in the first century there, second chapter of Acts. And it starts by saying, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And I have heard that preached so many times as, oh, well, this is coming. This is going to happen. And when you start seeing this, and you should expect this, and let's try to gen it up in certain Pentecostal circles, you know. Uh, Baptists are afraid of it. I found that out. Um, but you, it's like, wait, no. Literally, Peter said, this is the fulfillment right here at Pentecost. Joel is being fulfilled 
And guess what it's called? The last days. And you go, hang on. That doesn't line up with my Hal Lindsey theology. And, and out of that, we get all sorts of wackadoodle ideas, not just the David Koresh, but all sorts in between. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do we get back to essential Christianity? Yeah, in this area here, I think um, I, I think changing our language is a, a really important thing. So I, every time that I get asked, hey, Chris, do you want to come talk about the you know, book of Revelation um, <laughs> on the podcast? They always, they'll start with, you want to talk about end times? And, you know, I totally get that. No fault for them. I understand that. But I'd say, you know, I'll explain. I really, let's not start with that term, end times, because it's a very loaded term. You know, it means all sorts of things. It means helicopters and bombs and, right. and left behind series. And, and we're already putting ourselves behind the eight ball by using this sort of language. But let's let's re, let's talk about apocalyptic. Let's talk about the genre itself. Let's mm-hmm. talk about what that is. And that to, and that kind of brings out what's in a person because they come become disinterested at that point. It's like, hmm, maybe they're in this because they really want to see their own uh, suspicions fulfilled. It's, well, when are we going to talk about my political scheme being fulfilled or what my political expectations are, or mm-hmm. um, you know, they have so, some sort of ambition that they'd rather see fulfilled. And so I think it's starting, creating good starting points to move forward with the discussion and, and the exploration. And when we center we understand what the first verse gives us, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Jesus Christ in the Greek there is the genitive case, which would refer to uh, the revelation could be about Jesus Christ or the revelation which came from Jesus Christ. And so that's a point of, of uh, discussion and scholarship, which I argue is probably both because J- John was very good with double entendre. So the revelation about Jesus Christ, which came from Jesus Christ, he reveals himself. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the interesting part about this, when we get beyond that, we realize that one five, he refers himself as, um, he starts referring to his blood. And so it's through his blood that he overcame. So he's, reveal, he's, re- he's revealing to us, the seven churches to us, that the way that we overcome is through the blood of the lamb. And that oftentimes means being faithful up to the point of blood. Mm. And if it's not up to the point of blood, up to the point of um, sacrificing those things that are most dearest to us in whatever time that we find ourselves in. And I think that's what Christ is revealing is this is how we conquer. We don't conquer through a military force or might. That's why I'm a pacifist. But what I am saying is that um, revelation for a lot of people has been a right to take up arms, not just militarily, but also in their own personal lives. I'm going to go destroy my enemies. I'm going to go, I can't right. wait to right. crush and kill my enemies. And, and, and my thought is uh, we need to be very careful before we start taking that perspective. And to your point, there needs to be something. That's why prayer is so important in doing theology, because it, there needs to be something holy about us when we come to the text that, because if there's not, and if there's something unholy in us that comes to the holy text, we can turn the holy thing into an unholy thing because of what's not healed in us and what's not set apart in us. And so that's why I think praying and coming to God and letting him circumcise and sanctify our hearts before we take up scripture is the utmost, because if we don't do that, scripture gets weaponized and and people can actually be hurt in the name of what's holy. Yeah. And, and not just physically, but emotionally. Spiritually. Emotionally, yeah. Yeah. Yep, so, absolutely. A lot of things. Oh, okay. I can, I can keep having this conversation, but I'll just point you guys, uh, if you want to delve a little deeper into this uh, and maybe return to some roots to the book, uh, The Theos Starter Pack, uh, Toward a Recovery of Essential Christianity. Uh, looks like that. You can get it wherever you get books, and you can always go to theosu.ca uh, for some, some more materials and uh, links to the book as well. Um, 
Chris, I appreciate the conversation, and and hey. I, I know it's a little incomplete here. Is there anything you want to you want to end with before I let you go? No, I just thank you for having me on it, uh, Randy. It, it was great chatting with you. I'm sure we could keep talking, and uh, <laughs> you, you've made my Monday a little better by letting me come <laughs> chat with you about some of my favorite things. So, <laughs> good, good. I hope I've made your Monday better <laughs> out there watching. Uh, and <laughs> if you want to hit that share button, let people know about uh, what's going on here at Life Today Live today's conversation, and lots of other good ones. I've got. Um, Actually, I've got a pre-recorded one. I think I'm airing it Friday because it's a holiday for us, uh, Veterinarian's Day. I, I love my dog, but I don't, I don't know. Maybe I misunderstood. <laughs> he gets the whole day. Uh, yeah, he gets the whole day. No, actually, uh, Jerry Jenkins. Uh, so I'll be shifting gears here quickly. We'll see how that goes. He's a great guy, by the way. Love the guy. Uh, yeah, sure. Gonna be on. Um, sure. So anyway, lots of good things. Hope you guys come back. Uh, if you haven't liked, followed, and subscribed, all those things, do that. And you'll get notifications of more good uh, interviews and conversations and uh, if I can spit it out we'll see you again next time here on Life Today Live You're the fruit You're the fruit You're the fruit Exports